Hey, good morning. It is fall. Fall has come. How do you guys feel about that? <laughs> that, was, that was a soft yay. Uh, we were driving home uh, this week. Uh, we had taken a few days and we were driving up north and we stopped at one of the rest stops and my five-year-old gets outside and says, it smells like snow. <laughs> and I said, yeah, that is a dirty word. Uh, so we are in week two of our series on the art of neighboring. Uh, five churches across nine locations are coming together this month to explore this topic. Um, we believe we can make a great impact in this region if we learn to love our neighbor as ourselves, as Jesus commanded. And so last week, Pastor Daniel spoke about loving our neighbors as one of the two most important things that we could do as Jesus' followers, one being loving our neighbor, the other loving God with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole soul. And so Jesus said that the weight of the scriptures, all of the other scriptures, uh, hangs on our ability to do this well. So with that in mind, uh, we should certainly be taking this command very, very seriously. We should dwell on it more. We should be more intentional about neighboring well. And that's where this series comes out of. And so we're using this book called The Art of Neighboring by Dave Runyon. Uh, if you would like it, they're, they're in the lobby for $5 today. Um, they're yellow and they're a great resource. Some of you are doing small groups on it. Um, and Dave himself, the author will actually be preaching to all of the five churches in week four of the series via video. So in two weeks, we'll hear from him himself uh, via video here this morning. And um, we will also have a special event on October 27th uh, for all of us to take a deeper dive into the subject of neighboring. And this event will be held at Grace Church. We're going to collaborate. All the churches are going to come together there. And Dave Runyon will be there live and in person doing uh, training for us on how to reach our neighbors. You can find more details in your bulletin or at churchneighbors.com has more information. There is child care available if you'd like to come and bring your family. Um, so you can check that out. So today I want to uh, build off of Pastor Daniel's message last week and talk more about uh, the number one problem in getting to know our neighbors. And that problem is lack of time. That problem is lack of time. And so most of us aren't walking around with a lot of extra time. If you are, I'll take it. You can leave it in my mailbox. Um, we already feel overwhelmed with our schedules. Our relationship space already feels full, and there's no room for more people in our lives. And, and really, we value, as a, as a culture, as a society, we value accomplishment, we value productivity, we value results, and that kind of culture leaves many of us um, activity-rich but relationship-poor. Activity-rich but relationship-poor. Poor. That's how Dave Runyon describes it, and I really resonated with it when he said that, because neighboring requires that we actually aren't activity-rich and relationship-poor. It requires space, and it requires us to slow our pace. And so today, the takeaway uh, to share, repeat, and remember, the, the thing that I want you to remember this week about what, what was church about, this is what it was about today, is that we need to create some space and slow your pace. So everyone just take a big deep breath right now. Okay, create some space and slow your pace. So if we're gonna take one of Jesus's most important commandments seriously, we're going to have to get intentional about it. And because the biggest obstacle to taking the great commandment seriously is time, we need to create space and slow our pace. And this isn't just critical for neighboring, it's critical for our faith too. John Ortberg said this, 
Uh, for most Christians, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of living them. And the Bible confirms this, that our time is short. Our time is short here on earth. James 4.14 says, uh, says it this way, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Mists don't hang around very long. They come and they go. And that's what the Bible is saying our life is like in view of our eternity. And so the time that we have here on earth is valuable. It's important. It means something. It's something that we should take very seriously about what we do with. This was a really good illustration I want you to watch that I found this week. These are roughly 28,835 jelly beans. I counted out 500 of them and used those to weigh the rest. In this pile, there's one jelly bean for each day that the average American will live. You might have more beans in your life, or maybe less, but on average, this is the time we have. Here's a single bean. It's your very first day. A special day, but kind of a rough day on everyone involved. Add 364 more and you have the first year of your life. Now, for a sense of scale, here are your first 15 years. 5,475 days, which brings us to the threshold of adulthood. And at that moment, this is the time that we have left. And this is, on average, what we will do with all that time. We will be asleep for a total of 8,477 days. If we're lucky, some of that time we'll be sleeping next to someone we love. We will be in the process of eating, drinking, or preparing food for 1,635 days. We'll be at work, hopefully doing something satisfying, for the equivalent of 3,202 of those days. 1,099 days will be spent commuting or traveling from one place to another. Maybe a little bit more if you live in L.A. On average, we will watch television in one form or another for a total of 2,676 days. Household activities, like chores and tending to our pets and shopping, will take another 1,576 days. And we will care for the needs and well-being of others, our friends and family, for 564 days. We'll spend 671 days bathing, grooming, and doing all other bathroom-related activities. And another 720 days will go to community activities, like religious and civic duties, charities, and taking classes. After we remove all those beans, this is what remains. This is the time that we have left. Time for laughing, swimming, making art, going on hikes, text messages, reading, checking Facebook, playing softball, maybe even teaching yourself how to play the guitar. So what are you going to do with this time? How much of it do you think you've already used up? If you only had half of it, what would you do differently? What about half of that? How much time have you already spent worrying? instead of doing something that you love. What if you just had one more day? What are you gonna do today? I don't know about you, but that messes with my brain. It gets me all thinking about every single moment, and that's what Jesus says exactly what he wants us to do. And he says that two of the most critical uses of our time is to love God and love our neighbors. 
And I want to talk today uh, an example from the scriptures of a time that someone needed to create some space and slow their pace for what was the most important. And it comes from Luke 10. There's a familiar story of Mary and Martha as they welcome Jesus into their home. Now, we often look at this story through the lens of Mary choosing to spend time with Jesus as God. And obviously this is true. But there's an element of this story where Jesus is also a friend of this family. He's visiting a neighbor where he's showing hospitality to. The two sisters and the brother Lazarus would often welcome Jesus and share meals with him when he was in town. I, I think that would be amazing to be, when you, when you go through that town, Jesus comes and stays with you. What, what an honor. And so we look in Luke 10, 38 through 42. This is the story. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So in this passage, there are three things I want to talk about, three lessons about loving our neighbor. And the first is this, don't let distractions keep you from focusing on the people. Don't let the distractions keep you from focusing on the people. You notice in verse 38, Martha got off to a good start. She welcomed Jesus into her house, but by verse 40, she had become distracted. She was distracted from her guest. And this happens to the best of it, of us, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, how often I feel like I have people over for dinner and I'm so obsessed with getting all the food put away and the, everything settled because we have something going on the next day that the people are just talking in the living room and I am working and not enjoying their company. Tell me I'm not the only one who's ever done that, please. Thinking of this from a neighboring perspective, many of us start with the right intentions. We, we think, well, we need to invite that family over sometime, maybe that neighbor or that person in our life. We need to invite them over sometime. But first, we need to get the yard in shape and the trees trimmed. And then we need to get that summer stuff in winter storage, and we should probably finish painting the bathroom. And then all of a sudden, before we know it, Months and years sometimes even go by. Then a bunch of distractions have blinded us to the, actually the people that God has placed in our life, that God has placed in our path. Now, to be clear here, Martha's mistake in this passage wasn't the much serving part. Uh, Jesus is not saying that serving is the wrong thing to do. What, she, what he was saying is she had become distracted by it. Now, some people look at this passage and they interpret it and say, well, Jesus is against us doing things for him. He just wants us to be. And there's some truth in this, in the fact that we need to build times in our lives where we can just Sabbath with Jesus and we're not always trying to work ourselves into the kingdom of God. But there's a lot of other passages in the scripture that talks about the value of doing. Jesus often tells stories about workers. In fact, in one of them, um, it's the high achiever who gets commended, the laid-back, passive guy who didn't do anything with the talents that God had given them. He actually calls him wicked and lazy. In Matthew 28, 21, Jesus tells a story where a father says to his two sons, go work in my vineyard, and there is a son who decides, I don't want to work. Work is doing. I just want to be. It's like he's from Southern California. I just want to be, bro. I just want to be. I just want to do anything. And that son doesn't fare so well in Jesus' story. B, 
Because Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't do anything. In fact, the passage just before this one in Luke 10, uh, we talked about last week, Pastor Daniel talked last week about the Good Samaritan and the one who did the hard work of compassion and helped the, the man on the side of the road as the hero and those who chose not to get involved were the villains. And so this is not Jesus be about being and doing. This issue is that Martha had become distracted from focusing on the person. Jesus, who was right in front of her. And we can see later that distraction leads to anxious and troubledness. In verse 41, she was anxious and troubled. She's just burned out. She's saying to, to the Lord, don't you care? My sister has left me to serve all alone. And we see here that when we get distracted by a bunch of stuff that Jesus didn't ask us to do, it always leads us to frustration and anxiety. When we get distracted by a bunch of stuff, when we fill pack our lives with a bunch of stuff that Jesus never asked us to do, we are troubled and have anxiousness and frustration. And I believe that some of you are burned out and frustrated in doing a bunch of stuff that Jesus didn't ask you to do in the first place with your time. He did ask you to love your neighbors, though. In fact, he asked us as the two most important things. He asked us to love our neighbors and love him. And so there comes a time when you have to say no to things he didn't ask you to do and yes to the things that he did. So what are the distractions that have crept into your life that are keeping you from loving your neighbors well? What are they? Where do you need to eliminate distractions so that you can focus on the people? So here's the second lesson from this passage. Priorities drive how we spend our time. Priorities drive how we spend our time. That's probably something you learned uh, in time management skills or maybe in college, but that's actually a biblical, a biblical principle here that Jesus is teaching us, that your priorities drive how we spend our time. Your calendar shows your priorities, which means when we say, I don't have time to get to know my neighbor, what we're really saying is, I don't consider getting to know my neighbor as important as everything else that I do. That's what we're really saying. And I think Jesus might take this issue, might, might think that that's a problem. <laughs> if we actually said the reality of that statement, I think Jesus would say, well, then your priorities are upside down. It would be wise for us to prioritize what Jesus told us to prioritize, and loving our neighbors is very high on that list. So Martha starts whining to Jesus that Mary's not helping with, with all the arrangements. And Jesus uh, responds with a challenge to reprioritize. If we look at verse 41, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. And then the first words of verse 42 are key. But one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. And he's saying that as a follower of Jesus, there are many things that you could be doing. But you need to get to the most important thing. You need to prioritize. So often we just uh, get swept away in this avalanche of activities, and we're doing a lot of things, but we're missing out on the most important ones. And if you're not careful, you will end up scheduling your life around demands rather than priorities. You will end up scheduling your life around demands rather than priorities. I mean, if you think about it, we grab our calendars, and the first thing we have to put in are the things that we have to do to avoid losing our job. 
And we have, to, we have to do that. We have to work so that we can provide for our families and we can live, you know, we can be productive citizens. And so we put that in. But then the second thing is, well, well we can't forget, you know, the kids' travel teams and the kids' social lives and the kids' school schedule and then the PTA. And then there's getting to the gym, which is important, and not missing maybe your favorite television show or social media time. And, and with any luck, there's enough room to sleep, to squeeze in maybe like sleeping or, or some type of, of food, <laughs> maybe a shower or two. And you're just trying to, to fit it all in. And at the end of a good day, if you've made all your appointments and you've crossed everything off your to-do list, you fall into bed and you pray, God, just help me pull this off again tomorrow. Because tomorrow is fuller than today. And what Jesus, I believe, is saying in this passage is there is a better way. What if we didn't just let all the urgent stuff, the many things, drive our schedules but instead let our priorities, our one thing, lead the way. Priorities drive behavior. So what if you got intentional about putting your priorities in your schedule first? Choose the one thing over the many things. So if time with God is important to you, if a thriving marriage is important to you, if loving relationships are important to you, then they need to go into the calendar before all the urgent. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom. All the other things you worry about in life will be added to you. So if you get your priorities right, everything that's important will fit. It's the same limited time. It's the same stuff. But the only way life works, the only way it fits, is if the big priorities go in first. Now, I heard this once years ago, and it stuck with me. Uh, there is enough time each day for the full will of God. There's enough time each day for the full will of God. God will never plan for your day more than you can fit in 24 hours. It's us who messes that up. <laughs> he has never an intention for your day. He will never overpack your day that you cannot accomplish what he wants you to. There is enough time each day for the full will of God. So when you read this passage, some people, if you imagine Jesus is, he's talking to Mary, what his tone is. So do you hear in your head when you, when you listen to this passage, Jesus' tone as graceful or Jesus' tone as shaming? Some people hear it as, as kind of shaming, like, Martha, quit it. Like, you were, you were complaining. Just stop. Like, that's sort of annoying, like, edgy tone. But I believe that this isn't Jesus saying shame on you. It's like Martha saying, I've baked six dozen cookies in preparation for you to visit. I dusted the mantle. I cleaned all the toilets twice. And I hate cleaning toilets. And, and, and she's just saying to, to, to Jesus, and, and my sister's not helping me at all. And Jesus is saying, Martha, listen, in this gentle, fatherly tone, you are amazing. Thank you. You have amazing energy. But I want you to refocus toward the most important thing. He's not trying to add another thing to her to-do list so she can check off sitting at Jesus' feet. Got it. That's not what he's trying to say. He's, trying, he's not trying to make her feel guilty for all the work she's done to prepare for him to come. He likes the cookies, all right? He is making an invitation for relationship. He is saying, slow down, reprioritize. The most important thing is that I have a relationship with you. And I would ask you, do you live at a pace that allows you to prioritize your neighbors? that allows you to prioritize your relationship with God and your relationships with other people because priorities drive how we spend our time. All right, here's the third lesson from this passage today. Um, stop doing only what's immediate so you can do what's important. 
Stop doing only what's immediate so you can do what's important. Martha was focusing on the, on the immediate while Mary was focusing on the important. So in verse 42, Jesus says, uh, Mary has chosen the good portion. Mary has chosen the good portion. And I just love this moment because uh, they're having a meal and Jesus is using mealtime language for Martha as she's preparing the meal. Okay, he's saying, wow, look at those portions you're preparing. Martha, I know that you're getting that big portion of, of delicious food ready for me, and it sure looks great. But even better than that portion is the portion that Mary has chosen in here, and she's spending time with me. And so Jesus just meets them right exactly where they are. And, and he uses even the analogy of what's happening in the moment, that he is our good portion. Getting dinner on the table was immediate, but the relationship with Jesus was the important. And we have to get better at keeping our eye on what's important. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, he was masterful at this. I mean, Jesus was a busy man. Can we agree that he had the most important schedule in history? I mean, he had the most important schedule in history. He had the redemption of the entire world on his agenda. He had a lot to do. Rescuing the world is a pretty high up there. But we see in Matthew 20, 30 through 34, this, this passage, And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. In verse 32, it says, Jesus stopped. Jesus, would you say the word stopped? Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped, and he had, he had the, the, the most important schedule in history. The work that God had given him to do was the most important work, more important than any work that, that we have to do right now. And it's not just here, but we see it again and again in his ministry that he stopped. He was interruptible. And as followers of Jesus in a busy world, we need to get better at being interrupted. We need to get better at it. Most of Jesus' ministry and most of Jesus' time, most of Jesus' miracles were interruptions. Think about that. All the people he healed, the blind man, the lame man, the sick people, the paralyzed man, the dead child, all of them were interruptions. His first miracle, interrupted at a wedding. His second miracle, interrupted on the way to Galilee. It says that Jesus stopped. He stopped when he saw that opportunity. And we talk about following the steps of Jesus. We should also follow the stops of Jesus. We should also follow the stops of Jesus, especially in our neighborhoods, especially in the places, in the places that God sends us. So what would this look like in your context? What would it mean to create some time and some space in your life to be a better neighbor? Neighboring requires that you create some space and you slow your pace to stop what keeps us so crazy busy and just be there for people. Just be there for people. We talk about in the scriptures how Christians should look different than, than those who aren't, right? We should be set apart. And I think that in some ways this is something that would be so significantly different than the rest of the culture, 
If we would just continually allow ourselves to be interrupted, that wherever God has us, be fully there and be available and, and be willing to love someone the best that you can in those moments. So as you know, we're, we're doing this series with five other churches in our city and and together as a pastoral team, all the, the five other, four other pastors and I have a meeting for several months talking about it. And we decided each week to challenge our congregations with actionable steps. And so all across the city, pastors are giving this same message. They're, they're talking to their congregations about the same thing. And, and so the first thing, we provided a, a map for you. If you got it when you came in. It has a house in the middle and blocks around. If you can get that out, you can look at it for a second. If you didn't get one, you can get one on the way out. But um, <clears throat> what we're, we're hoping is that you would fill in the names of your immediate neighbors, the eight people that live close to you. Maybe you live in an apartment or a neighborhood, or maybe you live out in the sticks like me, and my eighth neighbor will be several miles away. But as you fill that in, you, you, it's just for you, to keep it on your fridge or in your Bible, that you would just begin to fill those out. Now, some of you are going to say to me today, uh, I don't even know the names of my eight neighbors. And, and then you have some homework. <laughs> and don't, like, go creepily look at their mail or something. Like, you have to, like, ha like have a conversation. But you have some homework. To, to, at least maybe your first step in this series is to just get to know actually their names and who they are. Maybe you've had some relationship with your neighbors, and your, your step now is to get a little deeper. Ask them for a prayer request. See if there's something you can help them with. The next step that we really want to challenge you, so after you fill out that block map, is to schedule at least an hour this week that positions you to interact with your neighbors. This puts you in a good spot. That might mean just planning to spend an hour in your front yard or or your front porch during the time of day that might bring the most foot traffic, or maybe it's in the common area of your apartment complex, or it might mean taking a walk. Not just go for exercise, don't put your iPods in and focus, but take a walk so that you can maybe have an opportunity if someone's outside to interact with people. Or maybe you're, you actually just put yourself in a position where you make cookies or, or take someone out for a meal or, or offer some help weeding or, or whatever it is. But, but just interacting with your neighbors, your actual neighborhood, for an hour this week. Maybe you need to split it up into four 15-minute segments. You and the Holy Spirit can figure that out. But here's the thing. I know that we're all busy, and I, I think we think time is the barrier. But we spend time on what is most important to us. And we must redeem some of the time for things that are important to our Savior. And if Jesus says these are two of the most important things I want you to, to look at, these are the two most important things I want you to understand, then we need to make that a priority. So redeem some time this week to do God's will in your neighborhood. I want to close with this scripture from Ephesians 5, uh, 15 through 17. It says, uh, Paul saying, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And Paul here is saying that it's possible as a Christian to make the most of your time, to literally redeem or buy back your time. But notice the phrases he uses. He says, it will take wisdom. You will have to be careful. You'll have to be wise to understand God's will. It will take spiritual intentionality to do it. 
It will take you physically thinking, this is the time that I'm going to actually give back to God and love my neighbor and love him. Now, I leave most of the math to Silvio, but if 4,000 people in five churches each get to know eight neighbors, that's 32,000 households and approximately 100,000 people because more than one person lives in a house usually. So the potential impact for, this, for, for the kingdom in just this simple exercise, in just this series, in this city is huge. And so as we do this together, I believe that as we walk it out, just, just intentionally getting to know our neighbors, loving people in our life, that the Holy Spirit can do something so amazing and so miraculous in this way. So I want to challenge you. Join me in these other congregations this week and following the greatest and most important commandment that Jesus gave us. Would you stand? I want to pray for us today. Don't forget to get a block map on your way out so you can write the names of your neighbors in there and pray for them and spend some time in your neighborhood intentionally. Let me pray and I'll let you on your way. Father God, I thank you so much for uh, the commandment that you give for us to love our neighbors, Father, and to love you. And I pray that this week that you would allow us to prioritize our time. God, that we could put things, we could redeem the time, God. We could give it back to you, Father, that, that we could uh, honor you as you've given us this commandment. And God, that you would give us divine appointments with the people in our neighborhoods, the people in our apartment complexes, the people in our life, Lord, that you would give us divine appointments, that we would be in, uh, able to be interrupted. And Lord, that we could even share with one another the amazing things that you are going to do in these small conversations. God, thank you that you've given us such a great strategy for your kingdom to grow through this. Lord, we love you. We pray for all the other congregations this morning that are hearing the same message, Father. We pray that all of us together could be good neighbors, Father, and that the city of Erie and, and the county would change significantly spiritually and in the natural. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.